Greetings, brethren. Welcome to a, a special short Bible study. First thing we're going to do is look at Matthew 24. Because there will be a lot of them coming up. And all you have to do to know that this is true, all you have to do is go on the Internet and go on YouTube and so forth and see how many people, how many men and even women are saying that they're preaching the gospel. Okay? Some are even saying we're in the tribulation. Huh? Well, let's look at a couple of things here. Okay? Matthew 24. Now, we've covered this together because we want to cover the, the two witnesses and what was the other one? And sacred names. Okay? Verse 14. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be proclaimed in all the world for a witness to all nations, and then shall the end come. Now, exactly how that's going to be, we don't know. What's the first way? What's the first way? The written word. That's correct. Okay. And it's available, most available book in the entire world in the most languages. All right. Now, if a person doesn't read it, that's not God's fault. Okay. Because he sent it. Okay. Be like this. You got a telegram from your recently dead uncle. And you didn't like him. You didn't want it. You didn't go to his funeral. You didn't care anything about him. So when you got the telegram, you put it up on the shelf. Then a couple of years later, you're cleaning the shelf and he taught, well, I'll open this up and see what would send it. Open it up and said, you've inherited $2 million. You have 60 days to claim it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. That's what it's going to be for these people. See? Now, how it's going to be preached, we, we don't know. Now, verse 15 is a key. Okay. Now, why is this a key? Verse 1. And after going out, Jesus departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him to point out the buildings of the temple. And looking down from the Mount of Olives, from the, from the floor of the Kidron Valley, up to the highest pinnacle, 450 feet. And they had beautiful rock up on the side of the Kidron Valley, going up to the temple. Okay? And Jesus said to them, do you not see all these things? 
In other words, take a good look at every one of these things. Truly, I say to you, there shall not be left here even a stone upon a stone that shall not be thrown down. Okay. Now then, couple that with verse 15. Okay. What do you think that the disciples originally thought in 70 AD when the temple was destroyed? Or in the process of being destroyed? Did not the Romans surround Jerusalem with their armies? Okay. And the Jews thought, we're so righteous, God has got to save us, and you'll find us in Josephus, that over two million people came the, the year when the rebellion started. And the Romans were smart. They let them all in. Okay. Now, they had a lot of food stored there, but not enough for two million people. Okay. So then the Romans encircled it again. And when the siege finally came, they went in there and Vespasian, who was the general in charge. Okay, no, it wasn't Vespasian, it was his son. Uh, what was his son's name? Okay. Anyway, he came in to the Roman fort. Now today where the Mosque of Omar is, that used to be Roman fort property where they had 5,000 troops and could hold up to 10,000 troops. Everything in there it was like a little city. See? Little sidebar. Remember the incident about the, the swine on the other side of the lake? Okay. And a man came, he was possessed with all these demons. And they said, let us go into the swine. Okay. What, are, what were swine doing on the other side there? That was not in the territory of Judea. What do you suppose they were raising the swine for? Because it was a big herd. To feed the Romans. Okay? okay? That's just a little sidebar, see? All right? That's why, if you know the truth of God, you can analyze and figure out these things just by looking at what is said. And then thinking about what God has said, because what God has said is always true and will always happen. Okay, so they had a rationing of, bank, uh, of bacon and pork for probably six months. <laughs> okay, now then, back to this. Okay, Titus, that's what his name was. Vespasian's son, Titus. He got up there and he stood right where the Roman fortress was, because everything around it was destroyed. Okay. And he looked down to the temple. Now you can see how, how it is there, see? 
He looked down and saw the temple and he didn't want it destroyed. But all of the troops wanted the gold because they knew there was a lot of gold there. So they started tearing down the temple. They tore it down. They set it on fire. They moved all the stones. There wasn't one left on another. They were uh, digging up the, the stones that were the pavement and the foundation to get all the gold. Now, did they know that they were fulfilling the word of Jesus Christ? No. No. They just wanted the gold. <laughs> okay, now, let's see what else verse 15 tells us. So here's the conundrum that the, the apostles had to face. Let's read it, verse 15. Therefore, when you see... The abomination of desolation which was spoken by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place. All right. When the temple was destroyed in 70 AD, there was no man of sin, the son of perdition, 2 Thessalonians, that went in there and said he was God. Yet the temple was destroyed. Right? So... Who wrote the book of Revelation? John. All right. What do we find in Revelation 11? We'll go there in a little bit, but what do we find there? We find the first thing it starts out, take a measuring rod and measure the temple. What does that tell us? <clears throat> that before the end time, there's got to be a temple built. Okay. Now, John, when he was canonizing, didn't understand it. So this next phrase was inserted there by John to alert every one who reads the gospel that there is yet a temple to be built, but he doesn't understand it. Okay. But he understood there would be one in the last days. So he put in this statement. And the one who reads, let him understand. Okay. When that happens, what is the key to start the tribulation? What is the key? Daniel what? Daniel 11, verse 42 onward, king of the south shall push it to king of the north, the king of the north shall come down, and he shall conquer and overflow and go into the glorious land, go in there. The beast will be the one who goes into the temple that the Jews will build. Okay? Now, the tribulation cannot start until the temple is built. How long did they offer sacrifices? We don't know. Okay. How long it takes to build it? We don't know. If you want to get a hint, go to uh, templeinstitute.com and you'll find a lot of things that they've already got ready for the temple. They're just waiting. 
See? But God has the rabbis totally blinded to where it needs to be built because if they knew where to build it, they would have built it already and that would have been built before the time that it was to be built. Okay? So, a lot of people, and we have a, a, a DVD on on the uh, the temple area there. Okay? If you don't have it, ask Kimberly for it. Okay? Now, verse 21 connects with verse 15. We have when... There's a temple. When the man of sin, the abomination of desolation goes in, then, verse 23, there shall be great tribulation such as has not been from the beginning of the world until this time, nor ever shall be again. And if those days were not shortened or limited, there would have been no flesh saved. But, for the elect's sake, those days shall be limited. Now, here's another key. Not everything is set in chronological order. It's set by event to complete and tell you about the event. Okay? Now, they say this, verse 23. Then if they say to you, Behold, here is the Christ, or he is there, do not believe it. For there shall arise false Christ and false prophets, and they shall present great signs and wonders in order to deceive, if possible, even the elect. Behold, I have foretold it to you. Okay? All right. So the tribulation cannot begin until the temple is rebuilt. And then, the man of sin, the son of perdition, 2 Thessalonians, the second chapter, going into the temple and saying he is God, that triggers the tribulation. Right there. Okay? Now, let's come back to Revelation 11. Because I talked to a man on the phone here just this past week. He says, the two witnesses are here. Okay. So let's read about the two witnesses and then I'll tell you what the rest he said. Okay. Now, they do happen to be in Judea. Okay. But let's read this. Revelation 11 and verse 1. Then the angel gave him a measuring rod like a staff, saying, Rise and measure the temple of God. Well, if it had been destroyed roughly 30 years earlier, now you see the conundrum that John had. How can you rise and measure it? In vision... Here it is, but in reality, it's destroyed. So he writes in there, the one who reads lets him understand. See? Meaning, you're going to understand it sometime in the future. Okay? 
and those who worship in it. Don't believe for a minute. that the Muslims are going to agree to allow the Jews to go on the area of the Temple of Omar, the Mosque of Omar, and set up a Jewish temple with animal sacrifices. The whole Muslim world would come down upon them immediately. Okay? You know, all of the all of the imams from Iran would send off all their nuclear rockets immediately, right? Okay. That won't happen. Okay. Okay. So he says here, but leave out the court that is within the temple area and and do not measure it because it's given up to the Gentiles. And they shall trample upon of the holy city for 42 months. Now, 42 months is a type of evil. Okay? And that is roughly three and a half years. But it's not the same as the 1260 days. See? Most people equate them as the same. That is not true. And we'll see it here in just a minute. Okay. The 1260 days picture the righteous proclamations of the two witnesses. Okay. All right. Let's read it. Verse three. And I will give power to my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and sixty days clothed in sackcloth. So when I began to figure this out, I asked the question, why is one forty-two months and one twelve hundred and sixty days and they say they're equal in time. What is the difference? Okay. Now then. We have the two witnesses. Okay. Let's read a little bit more and then we'll answer the question. Okay. Now it identifies them and we'll look, look that up in Zechariah 3 and 4 here in just a minute. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the God of the earth. Two men against the whole world. Okay. What does that tell you? God doesn't need great armies. <laughs> now, what's going to happen? Okay. If any man attempts to harm them, fire will go out of their mouths and devour their enemies. And for 1260 days, no one can touch them. No one can get away from the flame. 
and and if anyone attempts to harm them, they shall be killed in this manner. These have authority to shut up heaven, that no rain may fall in the, the days of their prophecy. They have authority over the waters to turn them into blood and smite the earth with every plague as often as they will. Now, the most authority ever given to men by God. Can you imagine what this is going to be? See? When do they start their ministry? Let's read on and we'll figure out how we can see approximately when they're going to begin. Actually, to the day. And we have that with the Daniel and Revelation series. Okay? All right, let's go on. And when they have completed their testimony, the beast who ascends out of the abyss will make war against them and will overcome them and kill them. And their bodies will lie in the street of the great city, which is spiritually called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. That's Jerusalem. Okay? So their ministry will be in Jerusalem. Can you imagine the beast and their armies? Nothing can stop these two men. Huh? Imagine Hitler in a rage. Okay? You've seen him in a rage? Okay? Because he couldn't get something he wanted? Well, imagine the beast power. What a rage he's going to be in. Okay. Now they're clothed in sackcloth and ashes, right? Okay. Look at those dirty Jews out there. We can't get rid of them. And then finally, after 1260 days, what happens? We got them. We got them. So then they have three days, three and a half days. All around the world, they're happy. Hooray, we won. We finally conquered him, got rid of him. Okay. God has a little surprise. Hold on. Let's read it. Then those of the people and tribes and languages and nations shall see their bodies three and a half days, for they shall not allow their bodies to be put into tombs. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them and will make merry and will send gifts to one another because these two prophets tormented those who dwell on the earth. Okay. Their ministry was 1260 days, correct? All right. Next. Then after three and a half days, now what happens? We know when they end now. Okay. This is how we determine when they start. Okay. Let's read it. The spirit of life from God entered into them and they stood on their feet and great fear fell upon those who were watching them. And they heard a great voice from heaven say, 
come up here. Now, what do we have? The last two martyrs are the first two resurrected. Does that fulfill the word of God that the last shall be first? Huh? Yes. Okay. All right, let's read on. And they ascended into heaven in the cloud, and their enemies saw it. In that same hour, there was a great earthquake. A tenth of the city fell. 7,000 men were killed in the quake. The rest were filled with fear and gave glory to the God of heaven. The second woe is past. Behold, the third woe is coming immediately. The seventh angel sounded his trumpet, and there were great voices in heaven saying, Okay, now, what is this? Resurrection. Okay. Since the resurrection is on Pentecost, not on trumpets. See? What can you do then? You get Pentecost on, and I have a seven year chart every month. And the way you find out when their ministry starts is what? You count back 1,260 days, right? So guess when their ministry starts? Shortly after the Feast of Tabernacles in the year that the tribulation begins. And the tribulation begins somewhere around Passover time. Okay. Now you'll see that all on the chart. See? Now, why is that different from the 42 months concerning the beast and the false prophet? The span of time from Pentecost to trumpets, about four and a half months. Okay. On trumpets, we all come back to the earth with Christ. And what's the first thing that happened? The beast and false prophet are cast into the lake of fire, right? Trumpets. You can count backward from trumpets and you can find out when the 42 months begin. Okay? So you'll see that chart that turned out to be amazing. Okay. And the reason you can figure things out like that is because if you know the holy days, you know the Sabbath, you know the word of God is true, you know what God says will happen. Every prophecy will take place and we're not trying to fudge anything. See? If we don't know something, we don't know, right? That's what we have to say. We don't know. Because we're not going to come up with an idea to tell God what he needs to do. No man can do that. God says, 
back there in Isaiah 40, who has been his counselor? Or who has taught him? No one. See? So, here are the clues. If you don't study the Bible, if you don't know the Word of God, if you don't believe in the Sabbath, and if you don't believe in the holy days, and you don't believe when the holy days are, you're going to miss the mark. See? That's just the way it is. Now, let's answer the question, who are the two witnesses? Because this man who called me said, well, they've been there since 2017. I said, really? Anyone want to look on a calendar and tell me the number of days between 2017? Let's just give it Passover 2017 up until now. Yeah, that's more than 1,260 days. And then I, I ask him first, are they clothed in sackcloth? No. Well, what are they doing? Well, they're working in a dig. That is doing archaeological work. Okay. Are they performing miracles? No. Are they calling plagues down from heaven? No. Are they tormenting the earth? No. They're not the two witnesses. Yes, they are. They're the two witnesses. <laughs> so I said, this conversation has ended. Now I'll go get my phone. <laughs> okay. Now, let's come to Zechariah 3. It's not going to be any minister. Remember when we were told years ago, who were the two witnesses? Huh? Remember? HWA and GTA. Oh, they must be the two witnesses. They're both dead. Right? Okay. Zechariah 3. See? Now, God is going to have to perform a special miracle. Okay? And let's see what he does. As I read this, remember what God did to Saul, who was persecuting the church. Now, for you and I, in our thoughts, if we thought, okay, let's select another apostle, okay? And someone said, I have a good idea. Let's select the one who's killing Christians now. You're stupid. See? Because God does things that people don't. And he thinks differently than we do. So when he called Saul, first thing he did was teach him a lesson and knock him down on the ground and blind him. And then he had to he had to be led by the hand after after Jesus said answered Saul's question, Who are you, Lord? He said, I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting. See? Now think of that. 
if Christ is in you and you're persecuted, that's not only you, it's also Christ, right? Okay. So then he said, it's hard to kick against the pricks, isn't it? You know, those long spikes of pricks like that. You've seen them. Now, what's the most tender part of your body? The bottom of your feet. Think if you were barefooted kicking against those. How long do you think you would last? The pain would be incredible right away. And I don't think you could get more than two or three kicks at the best before you would fall flat on the ground fainting from pain, right? So that's what he was telling Saul. So he says, get up on your feet. Ananias is going, going to come and take you and baptize you. So he had three days of fasting and prayer and not eating to think it all over. See? Okay. <laughs> and then Ananias came and vision came to Ananias. Now you go get Saul because I've chosen him. He said, oh, Lord, we've heard a lot of things about him. And he's even killed his saints. You want me to go get him? Yes, I've chosen him. I have a work for him to do. All right. So he goes over there, and Ananias says, The Lord sent me. Now you stand up on your feet. Going to baptize you. Now, two witnesses are in the same boat. One will be a coming priest, high priest, that will be selected for the temple that will be built in Jerusalem. And the other one will be the governor of Judea. You have the priest named here, Joshua. Okay. And you have the governor named Shelatil. They were the type. So let's read what it says. Chapter 3. And he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to resist him. Right there. Satan, right there. Okay. Now, you or I wouldn't choose anyone like that. Okay. And the Lord said to Satan, May the Lord rebuke you, Satan, May even the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. This is, is this not a brand plucked out of the fire? Now that's quite a statement, isn't it? That his behavior up to this point was worthy of what? Death by fire. Okay. Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and stood before the angel. And he answered and spoke to those who stood by him saying, take the filthy garments from him. And he said to him, behold, I have caused your iniquity to pass from you and I will clothe you with ceremonial robes. So he will receive those ceremonial robes. When he becomes one of the two witnesses, he'll be in sackcloth. 
Okay? No. And I said, let them set a clean mitre on his head. And they set a, a mitre on his head and clothed him with a garment. And the angel of the Lord stood by. The angel of the Lord charged Joshua, saying, Thus says the Lord God, If you will walk in my ways and if you will keep my charge, then you shall also judge my house and shall also keep my courts. And I will give you places to walk among those who stand by. Hear now, O Joshua, high priest, and, and you and your fellows that sit before you, for they are men wondered at. Behold, I will bring forth my servant, the branch. That's it, second return of Christ. Okay? There we go. Now, let's come down here to chapter 4. Let's begin right here in verse 1. Because we'll have to remember what was said back in Revelation 11. Okay. And the angel that talked with me came again and awakened me as a man that is awakened out of his sleep. And he said to him, what do you see? And I, I said, I see, behold, a lampstand, all of it gold, a bowl on its top, seven lamps upon it, and seven pipes to the seven lamps on it. Now, that's not the menorah. See? The menorah that's in the temple has seven little cups, and they have a little place where a wick is put in there, and they put olive oil in each one of them, and they light the wick. This is different. There's a bowl of oil at the top coming down. Okay. Verse 3. And the two olive trees beside it. Two olive trees. We find that where? Revelation 11. See? So this identifies the priest, and the governor of Judea as what? The two witnesses. All right? One on the one side and one on the other side. And I answered and spoke to the angel who talked with me, saying, What are these, my Lord? And the angel who talked with me answered and said to me, Do you know what these are? And I said, No, my Lord. Then he answered and spoke to me, saying, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, saying, Okay? Not by might, nor by power, nor but by my spirit, says the Lord. That's why he chose two men. God doesn't need an army. One man or two men will be sufficient. Okay? And how many times you read in the Bible that it's a man, a prophet, right? Okay. Verse 7. Who are you, O great mountain, before Zerubbabel? Now, who's the great mountain? The final world system with the beast. Okay. Who are you before Zerubbabel? You shall become... 
a plain, and he shall bring forth the headstone with shouting, Grace, grace unto it, paving the way for Christ. Now, imagine when this happens. Imagine how many Jews in Judea are going to repent. Okay. Because when they see signs, they see wonders, they say, this is of God. Okay. So let's read on. The word of the Lord came to me saying, the hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His hand shall also finish it. And you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. Now this before he becomes one of the two witnesses. For who has despised the day of small things? Can you get it any smaller? <laughs> I mean, think about it. Against all the armies, against all the guns, all the planes, you know. You imagine that they, they came after the two witnesses with, with uh, you know, these flaming flamethrower. You know. Didn't hurt them. Okay. And they shall rejoice and see the plummet in the hand of Zerubbabel. These seven are the seven eyes of the Lord, which run to and fro through the whole earth. Now you find that in Revelation 1 and Revelation 4 and Revelation 5. Okay. And I answered and said to him, what are these two olive trees on the right side of the lampstand and on its left side? And I answered again and said to him, What are the two olive branches besides the golden pipes emptying golden oil out of themselves? And he answered and said to me, Do you not know what these are? And I said, No, my Lord. And he said, Here's the key right here. These are the two anointed ones who stand by the Lord of the whole earth. Okay. Now, hold your place here and let's go back to Revelation 11 because this identifies the two witnesses. They're not coming from the church. No man's going to set himself up. Who was the other one? Uh, Ron Wyland was not his name. Yeah, he said he was one of the two witnesses. And he said, well, I'll reveal who the other witness is a little bit later. And then he revealed it was his wife. Okay. I hope he repents. If he doesn't repent, he's in trouble. Okay. Okay. Revelation 11. Verse 4. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the God of the earth. Identical to what we find in Zechariah 4. Correct? Yes. Okay. So, that's who the two witnesses will be when God selects them. So, no one's going to come along and say, we're the two witnesses. See? So after I got done 
asking them, well, are they wearing sackcloth? No. Are they calling plagues down from heaven? No. Is there a temple there? No. But there's still the two witnesses. <laughs> so I ended the conversation. <laughs> so I'll end that for this right now, and we'll take a break. I don't know if I'll get to my message or not, but I can still get to it otherwise. So let's take a break and come back and we'll answer the other question. Okay. The next question is, with so many people being assaulted with sacred names, especially if you listen to Jonathan Kahn, now, Jonathan Kahn, some people are beginning to understand, he's not a prophet. He is a good analyst. He can figure times and paradigms and things like this. But he's not a prophet, and he knows virtually nothing about the New Testament. Nothing. He knows the name Yahshua. But if you watch his Passover service, it is strictly Judaism. Everything about it. Okay? Now, we're also confronted with what? Sacred names. There's even one man who put out a sacred name Bible. Okay? New Testament and Old Testament. So let's read something here. Let's come to Titus, the first chapter. Titus. Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ. All right. Since we're going to talk about sacred names, let's do a little analysis first. Okay. We know that the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. And the Jews like to say that Hebrew is a sacred language and that we need to use the names of God as written in Hebrew. But even the Jews don't know how to pronounce it themselves. Sacred names doesn't give you an inside track to God. What does? A broken heart and a contrite spirit. To this one who I'll look, who's a broken heart and contrite spirit, and what? Trembles at my word, that means keeps it. Okay? Now then. Paul. Remember who he was? Saul. Does he know Hebrew? Yes, he does. You can go, go to Acts the ninth chapter. When God called him, he spoke to him in Hebrew. Okay. And he told him, Saul, I want you to use sacred names in everything that you write. <laughs> No, he didn't tell him that. Okay. 
Did Saul also Paul know Greek? Yes. What was the Bible written in for most of the 300 years beginning when they did the Septuagint? The Greek Septuagint, which was the Old Testament, translated into Greek. Okay? And in that, they did not put any sacred names. Okay? No Hebrew. Okay? Remember when Paul, they, they tried to kill him because he came into the, into the temple to, to be at charge with those four men who had a vow and everything? Okay. And they said, that's the one, that's the one. So they, they were going to kill him. Okay, so the Roman centurion and the soldiers came down and rescued him and took him up, and he was at the praetorium. That was the entrance into the Roman area of where the Mosque of Omar is today. That was Roman property. And then Paul asked the centurion, because they're ready to kill him, he said, can I speak to the people? Okay. So you can read that in Acts 22, 23. Okay. And he said, yes. So he raised his arm and he spoke in Hebrew. Okay. Now I bring this up because everyone there at the temple, they calmed down. They listened to what he said. He told his account on how God called him and everything. And then when he mentioned the word Gentiles in Greek, the ethnodes, they went berserk. So he had to take them upstairs and get them away from the Jews, because they're going to kill him, see? Did sacred names make those Jews more loving? No. All right? So I bring it up for the introduction of Paul, what he's going to say. Because why did God call Saul to be Paul, to be an apostle, of all things, why didn't he just call him to be a deacon? Now, we'll start you out low down here. Okay, Saul. We'll make you a little deacon. And if, if you kiss the ring of the apostles above you, maybe we'll raise you in rank. Sound similar to what we found in the church? <laughs> okay. Now, reason I bring it out is because God did not want Judaism in the church. And we find that in Galatians, the second chapter. What was, what was it that, that Peter told Cornelius? 
Okay. He said, you know, it's unlawful for a man who is a Jew to keep company or come, come into another one of another nation. But God has shown me that he is no respecter of persons. Okay. Now, God had to do that in a miracle with signs. A vision to go with the soldiers to go to Cornelius. And then later when he was preaching, all the Gentiles. Okay. Because the Jews are forbidden to keep company with anyone of any other race and they are not to eat food with them. They are not to stay with them. Okay? That's Judaism. So you need to get our book, Judaism, and also our series, Scripturalism versus Judaism. Okay? So, if God wanted sacred names, don't you think that he would have inspired all the apostles to use the sacred names? Okay? But he didn't. Now, let's ask a question. Who created all the languages? God did at the Tower of Babel. Okay? If God created the language and God is holy, is not the name of God in that language holy? Have to be. Otherwise, God is cursing himself, right? And of course, God wouldn't do that. Okay? Now, I bring this up because of what we're going to read here in Titus. All right. Hold your place in Titus and come to Proverbs 30. And we'll tie this together with Acts, the second chapter, in just a minute. Then we'll get to Titus again. Proverbs 30 and verse 5. Every word of God is pure. He is a shield to those who put their trust in him. Doesn't say here you are to speak Hebrew. Every word of God is pure. If he created all the languages, the name of God is pure in that language. Okay? And in the Old Testament, how is it described in English? the Most High. And Jehovah or Yahweh. That's what's used in the Old Testament. What do we have in the New Testament? We have the Father who is Most High and we have His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. Now mark this. When the angel came to Mary, and it's recorded in Greek. And what were they to call him? This actually came to Joseph first. 
They were to call his name Jesus. Now, in Greek, it is Jesus. That has nothing to do with Zeus, the fake god. Jesus. Ho Christos. Ho Jesus. The Christ, the Jesus. That's what it is in, in the Greek. And the father is ho pater. Okay. Father. Now we do have a couple of places where the Semitic word, Aramaic, for father is used, which is Abba. Okay. Two places. Now, if God wanted that in every place where the name Father appears, could he not have inspired that? But he didn't. Okay. So every word of God, we have to understand that's what he inspires, is pure. He is a shield to those who put their trust in him. Do not add to his words, lest he corrects you and you be found a liar. Okay. Now, what do we find in Revelation 22? Okay. Let's go look there. What are the closing words of Jesus? Let's pick it up in verse 17. And the spirit and the bride, the spirit refers to Christ, obviously, say, come, Revelation twenty-two seventeen. let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who thirsts come. And let the one who desires to partake of the water of life freely. I jointly testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, and this means the whole Bible. Prophecy means the inspired book. Okay? Not just prophecy in a foretelling, but the inspired word of God. That if anyone adds to these things... God shall add to him the plagues that are written in this book. If anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life and the holy city and from the things that are written in this book. Okay. That agrees with Proverbs 30, correct? All right. So, let's add one more here before we get back to Titus. Acts, the second chapter. This was a reality of what was spoken, but also a prophecy concerning the word of God. Okay? What did we read earlier, earlier today? 
And this gospel what? Shall be preached in all the world. To whom? To all nations. All right. And the translations always come in the language of the people that it's directed to. See? Because that's what they understand. See? So here in Acts, the second chapter, right, let's go to verse 1. Because there's also a controversy of this because Raymond Cole justified a Monday Pentecost by saying that the first verse means when Pentecost ended. Well, when does it, a day end? At sunset, okay? That means if he's correct that the day ended, this means that they spoke to him at night, right? The day ends at what, sundown? Okay. Well, the temple was never up and operating at night. See? But he twisted the scripture to satisfy what he thought was a proclamation of HWA. Okay? Who never really repented of a Monday Pentecost. Because when he accepted the true Pentecost, okay, being on the first day of the week, he announced to all the ministers, well, God bounded on Monday these 40 years. Huh? That's no different than Sunday keepers saying, God is bound Sunday. Right? See? He never really repented. So he never understood Pentecost being the first resurrection. Okay? Now, before we get more here, I'll add some more to it. When we had Pentecost for the first time on a correct day, we had 750 people come to the Los Angeles Convention Center. Okay? And I was pastor of Torrance and Santa Monica, the two big churches down there in the Los Angeles area. Okay? And Gerald Waterhouse. Remember Gerald Waterhouse? Yes. One of the most ardent Herbert Armstrong men in the world. Okay? He came down to bring the message. Another minister from headquarters gave the sermonette. And I led the songs. Okay? Though I was pastor of Torrance in Santa Monica. That's okay. You know, rank came first. <laughs> so anyway, I'm up there leading the songs. And I say, brethren, here we are keeping Pentecost on the correct day. For the first time. And I said this. And who knows? It probably pictures the first resurrection. And that was 1974. 
And guess who was on the first row sitting right down there with his Bible open, getting ready to speak? The meanest, nastiest corrector of all in the church, Gerald Waterhouse. And it sailed right over his head. Okay? So when someone asked me, when's the first time you taught the resurrection on Pentecost? I said, the first Pentecost that we kept on the right day. Okay? And is that not the harvest of the first fruits? Is not the church called the, the first fruits of God? The firstborn from the dead? Huh? Yes. All right. Then when we're on the sea of glasses, we understand it now. We're going to use months to learn how to take over the world. Now, that's a big job, don't you think? Taking over the world? We got to know what we're going to do. We got to know where we're going to go. We're, we're not going to be resurrected on the day and meet Christ in the air and say, Oh, hello, Jesus. What am I supposed to do? I can't tell you now. You just follow me down. Okay. No. When do you get your white horse then? If you're resurrected on, on trumpets. <laughs> okay. A little sidebar, we'll get back here to Acts, the second chapter. But to answer the question, the Greek cannot mean ended because the Greek word here is an articular infinitive. Now, an infinitive is explained in English to, to walk, to run. That's an infinitive, okay? But the articular infinitive in the Greek means specifically present tense fulfillment of the word being fulfilled. It cannot mean ended. Okay? And when the day of Pentecost, the 50th day, was being fulfilled, and I translated that precisely from the Greek, okay? They were all in one place with uh, all with one accord in the same place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a rushing of a powerful wind and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them divided tongues, dialects. OK, look like tongues a fire and sat on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, did that come from God? Yes. Notice what God did. Did he speak in Hebrew only? No. Okay. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other languages. And it does not say, except for the sacred name. Okay, as the Spirit gave the words to proclaim. Okay, 
Now, this is a divine miracle proving you don't need sacred names. Okay? They were speaking in the Greek because that was the common language at the time. Second language was, was Aramaic, a version of Hebrew, and the third was Latin. Okay? But Greek was the main language. Okay? Now it says this, verse 5. See, because the Spirit gave them words to proclaim. Okay? Now there were many Jews who were sojourning in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. Okay? That means they attended synagogue. And in every synagogue at that time, there was the Septuagint Bible. Okay? But they all spoke the language of the country that they were in. Okay? So let's read on. And when the, the word of this event went out, the multitudes came together and were confounded because each one heard them speaking in his own language. In their minds, they had their own language that they were speaking, but when it came to the person to hear it, it was in their language. How did God want them to know about Jesus? in our own language and about God the Father in their own language okay. verse 7 and they were all amazed and marveled saying to one another behold are not all of these who are speaking Galileans see God didn't choose any of the rabbis <laughs> and Galileans were not very well favored by those in Jerusalem and they were supposed to be uneducated but these men were educated okay so then they asked the question since they're all Galileans you know I don't want to insult anybody, but that's kind of like saying that he's from the deep south, y'all. Okay. You're Hicks from the sticks. Who are you? Okay. Then how is it we hear each one in his own language, and the Greek is dialectos, okay, in which we were born. That is their native language. Then a list them. Parthians and Medes and Elamites and those from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontius, and Asia, both Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, Libya, and those of Cyrene, Romans, Okay, who were sojourning there, both Jews and proselytes, Cretes, Arabians, that before the Allah thing came on, 
okay? We hear speaking in our own language the great things of God. Okay? All this is recorded in Greek. But the Holy Spirit was going, and this is a prophecy, that the Holy Spirit would go to the Gentiles. But it didn't begin until Acts the 10th chapter, but here was a prophecy of it to the Jews who lived in the Gentile countries and spoke those languages and came to Jerusalem to keep the feast, okay? In their own language, okay? Now, now we're ready for Titus, the first chapter, okay? Now, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the knowledge of the truth that is according to godliness. Okay? All you out there, this verse means you keep sacred names. <laughs> No, it doesn't. In the hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before the ages of time, but has revealed it in his own set time in the proclamation of his word, with which I was entrusted according to the commandment of God, our Savior. I'll think of that. Paul says... He was entrusted to record the word of God. Okay. Show me a sacred name in any Greek text, in any of the epistles of Paul. They are not used. See, because God wants broken heart, a contrite spirit, he doesn't want names that you cannot pronounce and do not understand. Okay? Let's go on. Which I was entrusted, according to the commandment of God, to Titus, a true son, according to the common faith, grace, mercy, peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? For this cause I came to Crete so that you might, I, I left Crete rather, so that you might set things in order that needed to be done and might ordain elders in every city as I've commanded. Then he gives the qualification for an elder. Okay. Now, coming down here to verse 9. Again holding steadfastly to the faithful word according to the teachings of Jesus Christ so that he may be able, that is the elder, both to encourage with sound doctrine and to convict those who are gainsayers. Okay. Anything about sacred names? No. Let's read on. For there are many rebellious vain and vain talkers and deceivers, 
especially those from the circumcision party. Circumcision party are those who Judaize by following the traditions of the Jew. True spiritual circumcision is of the heart and mind. Now notice, whose mouths must be stopped, who are subverting whole households, teaching things which they ought not for the sake of selfish gain. Okay? Perfect description of sacred namers. Right there. Okay. For selfish gain, verse 11. One from among them even of their own prophets said, Cretans are always liars and evil, wild beasts and lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. For this reason, you must rebuke them severely that they may be sound in the faith. Okay? The whole thing here. Now, verse 14 not paying attention to Jewish myths and commandments of men, which turn away from the truth. Okay? Now, that's precisely what sacred namers do. They want you to follow them, see? Because they're the only ones on earth that have contact with God. No one else does. Okay? Depart from the truth, which take away, turn from the truth. Okay? To the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. Rather, both their, their minds and their conscience are de defiled. They personally profess to know God, but in their works, they deny him. Quite a statement there, isn't it, huh? See? It's not what you say, it's what you do. How do you live? Okay. But in their works, they deny him. They personally profess to know God, but in their works, they deny him. Being abominable and disobedient, and reprobate unto every good work. Okay? Now then, you can search the New Testament. Nowhere are sacred names required. When it's translated in another language, as we found on the day of Pentecost, Acts of the second chapter, God himself translated in the language of those who heard the wonderful works of, of who? Who? God. Right? In his own language. Sacred namers are just a branch of Judaism trying to get a niche so that they're more righteous than other people. And you don't do it that way. Huh? Okay. 
One thing that God wants, and especially in the ministry, most important thing for any elder is this, that you know the truth of God. All right? And the truth always fits with truth. And as long as we stay with the truth and preach the truth and believe it ourselves first, right? Long as we do that, then we can serve the brethren. Then we can teach them. See? And we're not going to exalt ourselves above the, above the brethren. See? We're to teach till we all, we all together come into the unity of the knowledge of the truth of God. See? Okay. Let's find that in Ephesians, the third chapter, and then we'll end here. But notice what happened to Paul. See? Here in the third chapter, this is important. For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, to you Gentiles. Here he is in chains in, in a private house in Rome before he's released. And this also, also tells us this. Whenever we have a trial, maybe God is going to inspire us to understand more things if we yield to God, see? It's very important to understand, see? So don't worry about any of the trials you have. Don't get all, all your emotion involved and your feelings hurt because that's just going to lead to an upset mind and upset emotions. That won't work. You take it all to God. Paul could have said, boy, you know, it's pretty tough out here and God hasn't been fair to me and I went through this, this almost shipwreck, landed on an island and finally got to Rome and I'm still here in this house in chains. No, he didn't say that. He said, if indeed you have heard of the ministry of the grace of God that was given to me for you. See, any knowledge of the Bible that we have as elders, it's not for us. It's for the brethren. Okay? It's what it is. How he made known to me by revelation of the mystery, even as I briefly wrote before, so that when you read this, you will be able to comprehend my understanding in the mystery of Christ. And that's what it is. We're understanding the mystery of God during the Feast of Tabernacles that the world doesn't know. I mean, think of that. How precious is that knowledge? Yes, indeed which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men as it has been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. God gave this revelation to all the apostles and prophets at the same time, that the Gentiles might be joint heirs and a joint body 
and joint partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. Together. Not one greater than the other. Not one chosen over the other. We're all chosen. What are we called? We're, we're called the chosen, the faithful. See? Verse 7. Of which I became a servant according to the gift of grace which was given to me through the inner workings of his power. To me. Now notice his attitude. Look where he came from. He came from where? Persecuting and killing Christians. Right? Then he came to say, well, I'm the least of all the apostles. A little later. Now, look at the humility that Paul has here when he's in prison. Okay? To me, who am less than the least of all the saints. Okay? Quite a statement. Every elder needs to read that and understand it. And if you're on your high spiritual religious high horse, you better get rid of it. See? Was this grace given that I might preach the gospel among the Gentiles, even the unsearchable riches of Christ? He didn't keep it to himself. Okay? And that I might enlighten all to what is the fellowship of the mystery that has been hidden from the ages in God who created all things by Jesus Christ. Quite a statement, isn't it? What is it that you know? Why do you know it? It's the greatest thing that there can possibly be. See? So that the manifold wisdom of God might be made known through the church to the principalities and powers in heavenly places. We're to come to understanding that even angels aren't privileged to understand. Huh? What, is, what does that mean? How powerful is the word of God? See? All right? According to his eternal purpose, which he has wrought in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness, and direct, direct access with confidence through his very own son. See? Now think about the privilege. Think about this. We have direct contact with God the Father through prayer. And that takes place every time we get on our knees and we say, Our Father. Now, we know it's spiritual. How all of that works with all of his people everywhere, God can handle. God can work it out. See? And though we're all scattered and some of us alone much of the time, we're not alone because God is with us, Christ is with us, and God is with all his saints wherever they are. See? All right? So then I beseech you not to faint at my tribulations for you, which are working for your glory. That's how we look being in jail. See? So the next time you have a trial come along, 
Open Ephesians, the third chapter, and read it on your knees before God. Okay? And let those words sink deep within, because that's where they are to be. Okay? For this cause, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, the whole plan of God. An amazing thing, isn't it? Right. I just got a letter from a man in England. He said he, he got the book, the new expanded version of uh, God's plan for mankind revealed by his Sabbath and holy days. And he was overwhelmed to get it. See? Well, that's where it needs to go. To go to people to see, to read, to understand. Okay? Okay. Now notice, this is what God wants. This is what God wants for each and every one of us. And eventually, as we know what the Feast of Tabernacles pictures, the millennial reign of Christ, and we're going to rule, we're going to reign, we're going to teach, we're going to govern, we're going to help, we're going to encourage, we're going to heal, we're going to do all of these things according to the will of God. See, that's what it's for. Okay. So he says, for this cause, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he might grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power by his spirit in the inner man. That's what God wants, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. That's the whole cause of what we do. See? That's why we live. Okay? And then being rooted and grounded in love, you may be fully able to comprehend with all the saints. See? This is what God wants us to learn. That's why we have the Sabbath and holy days and everything. And while we have peace, peace enough to learn, to pray, to study, to live God's way, see? Okay? With all the saints, what is the breadth and length and depth and height? And that will come at the resurrection. The fullness of that. That's an amazing thing. Okay? And to know the love of Christ which surpasses human knowledge and that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That one verse tells you the whole purpose of why you're here. Why you were born. Why you were converted. Why you have the knowledge of the word of God. This one verse right here. Now notice, it's going to be done. Verse 20. Now to him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that is working in us. God will do it. Christ is there. See? To him be glory in the church by Christ throughout all generations 
even into the ages of eternity. Amen.